Between the Barrels, where every rider has a story. Welcome to Between the Barrels. Whether you're a returning fan or a newcomer, I'm your host, Madeline Green, and I am thrilled to be back sharing interviews with you. I started Between the Barrels in 2015 and took a break, but here I am again. So this week I will be joined by Miss Chloe Gray. She has been setting the arena on fire wherever she goes, and I am so happy to have her on the show and maybe figure out a few tips that I can use. Hey, Chloe, how are you? Hey, Madeline, I'm doing good. You definitely showed out in kinder winning the derby and then also being named high money earner. Tell us a little bit about the preparation that goes into getting ready for a show like that. And then tell us about your week in kinder. So I went to Perry, the Perry Cup, um, another good time to bell race and bell race on Saturday the week before. And everyone worked really good. Carmen ended up winning it that day. Um, and then all my Colts worked very good, too. So I felt really prepared going into kinder. Right. You know, they all were working really solid and smooth. And, you know, I had a, a kind of a non-pressure run on all the Colts. So that was good for them and myself. So kinder, I felt prepared, um, you know, a little nervous. You know, I really wanted my Colts to do good. I feel like they really haven't, like, shined yet. No, know it's in there. <laughs> so I was a little nervous, and I really wanted them to do well. And um, I knew karma has been, she was on, so I was pretty confident in her. I ended up taking six. I took two derby horses and three Futurity Colt. I ended up running in the Futurity first, the Colt I have by the Money Depot. Her name is Mo Money. <laughs> and she ended up placing the first round along with the Trace Ace Philly late night soiree. Both of those two got in there and got qualified back for the Breeders' Challenge. So that was my, my main goal was to try to punch some tickets into that. Right. Being kinder the closest one to us and the first one of the year. So that was a, a sigh of relief. Mm-hmm. Um, both of them I felt like could have done a little better. So I knew there was room to improve. Then I ran Karma in the Derby and she ended up second. So she worked extremely nice in the first round and I couldn't be, couldn't be more pleased with her. Her her runs were just super sharp and you know just she was really firing so we ended up she had a little sinus infection for a while so I think we got that cleared up yeah <laughs> so we got our superstar back but um second go same thing the Colts were good my what I feel like is my best cold late night soiree she has not completely shined yet I have just I had really high expectations for her and I talked about her all year and you know, just kind of built up this anticipation to run her. And I've kind of been just letting letting her down, letting myself down. So I was extremely nervous on her for my second go. Right. Um, I just really wanted to keep it clean and keep the barrels up and be smooth. And, and she did that. And, and really, that, that when I came out on her, I felt like I, I accomplished something. I feel like I won the world because <laughs> I finally got two solid runs on her. And she ended up winning the Breeder Challenge Futurity Average, so that was a huge, huge win for me. That's was one of my goals this year was to, you know, win win some type of maturity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Mo Money came in with another solid run. Um, so both of them placed on the average, got some incentive money, and then Karma. <laughs> <laughs> she she really came she really came to the party on um, on Friday the second go. Um, she fired extremely hard. And I don't think I could have got any closer or faster around the first and the second. 
and go into the third, I just, you know, I really didn't want to mess it up. Right. I ended up tipping it a little going into it, and she bowed off really bad on the backside. So I really wasn't quite sure how we were going to end up with that, but I knew her first and second made up a bunch of time, and I kind of knew what I needed when I went in there. And I really wanted to be the Derby champion, so Taylor had to take her picture with me. (laughs) That is so funny. Uh, It was just a blast. Yeah. How much fun is it that you both are doing so amazing and getting to, like, experience it together? Yeah, so, I mean, it's great. We we have, you know, friendly competition. We both, you know, know what all it takes to be at the top. So we're both extremely happy with one another when, you know, it all plays out like we want it to. And I tell her, I'm like, I really like this whole winning together thing. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I've <laughs> <laughs> been, been having somebody to really just celebrate with and, uh, you know, go back and forth and just feed off each other's energy, too. Um, you know, she ended up helping me in in the derby. And, you know, she's like, come on now. I won the Futuri, so it's your turn to win the Derby. And uh, I was like, I know, I know. I know what I got to (laughs) do. It's been a lot of fun. Did anything change going into the Derby second go? So she's been getting a little more amped up as far as coming in the gate. And I feel like my first go, she was a little too ready. Um, I felt like she might have burned some energy out there going in. Right. Just having to kind of hold her back. So second go I had Taylor walking with me and Karma loves her mare Minnie so she's kind of her comfort zone and uh so I was able to just get her in very you know very quietly for the second go so that was the only thing that I I switched up well congratulations again on a stellar week in kinder I'm sure you'll have many more weeks like that in the future but kind of jumping into it I think it's interesting to hear different people's stories. So kind of tell us yours. You know, I've known you for quite a few years, but how did you get started in barrel racing from the very beginning? So my dad grew up working on a, like a dude ranch up in Pennsylvania. And so he's always kind of been, you know, interested in the horses and we had a few growing up. I actually, (laughs) I was eight when I started barrel racing. I was probably like six or seven when I started English lessons. And I was scared to even trot on my little pony. (laughs) So speed came later on in my career. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I started off English for about six months and kind of had a really like mean, strict instructor and just kind of, you know, didn't make it real fun. So I stopped doing that. And my dad had always rode Western. So just kind of piddle with the horses at the farm. And I'm about 40 minutes from Perry. So we went to the... Perry Rodeo, the professional rodeo there, and I saw the barrels and kind of, you know, thought it was interesting and it might be something that I would want to look into. And so, you know, we all joked and um, we laugh about it now because obviously it's a speed event and I wasn't going very fast then. (laughs) Right, right. My dad talked to a few people in the area and kind of got some information on the Middle Georgia Junior Rodeo Association and got playing in that. And (laughs) I actually started off on two pretty one wild little pony that ended up turning into a little angel. She really didn't know the barrels, and so I kind of taught her along and then started off with a crazy horse named Lucy. She uh, she was wild, and so I kind of had to, you know, work with what I had, and, you know, we just put a lot of the junior rodeos, and when I had to age up into the high school rodeos, I really just wasn't, wasn't that interested in high school rodeoing, and I had just met the Wise family, so Carl and Cassie Wise and Gina, and um, we just started doing the NBHA barrel races, and we bought several horses from Carl, and 
you know, he's been kind of my, my go-to growing up and taught me along the ranks. And, um, you know, me and Cassie were always kind of neck and neck and it made it, you know, for friendly competition. And so that was that. And then just kind of piddled into the rodeos when I kept one of my fillies that I started to train and she kind of, she, she's stand up on any ground. I think you could run her on concrete. So I went to a few just local, you know, amateur rodeos and just kind of went from there and then decided to get my, my card. You know, everyone has the dream mm-hmm. of, uh, of Vegas. So kind of piddled, but I always had younger horses. I started training when I was around 15 and so I'd get them going and then I'd sell them. And so I finally decided to keep a few open horses and and that's when I started, you know, going going down the road a little bit to the pro rodeos. You know, you said you did a little bit of English, but once you started in the barrel racing, was being a professional barrel racer something that you kind of dreamed of would be your future? Absolutely. So I knew when I was probably like 14, probably 13, 14, that I wanted to train horses when I grew up and I just wanted to be in this in this career and you know, when I learned about the rodeo and the, the NFR and all that, that was definitely a, a instant dream that I just wanted to try to conquer one day. Right. Um, but funny story, <laughs> I laugh about always, I was probably, like I said, 13 or 14, and I was at a jackpot, and Brett Monroe comes around the corner, and he asked me, he's like, so, Chloe, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, well, Brett, I want to be a barrel horse trainer just like you. And uh, <laughs> he, you know, in typical Brett fashion, he kind of gave me this this side grin. And he said, huh, he said, I'd pick a different career. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like my dad, too. <laughs> yeah, so he, like, kind of crushed my soul right then and there, uh, you know, early teen. And then I was like, you know what? I, I think I want to do it anyway. <laughs> I'm, I like I'm just a little hard-headed. So. Yes. What yeah. did your parents think about that? So my mom, she's not into horses or the animals very much. My dad, however, has always been the number one fan supporter, you know, of me and my, my siblings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he he would do anything to, to make our dreams come true. So it's been, you know, quite the ride with having him back us and, you know, be along, be along for the ride. Yeah. Always good to have that good support system. For sure. And it, he's a little competitive too. So of course he always wanted to want to see us succeed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So thinking back to, you know, all the horses that you've ridden now, is there one or even two, I know it's hard to pick one or two when you've ridden so many that, you know, just hold a special place in your heart. Yeah. So, um, my very first, I guess, you know, people call it your heart horse. Um, his name was Turbo. So Nick's Turbo Charger, um, was his registered name. And, he was actually older when we got him. I think he was like 14 or 15. And he had, he was a little cow looking sorrel with a big bald face and he ran left-handed. And I think he'll always go down as a super special one in my book and my first, you know, heart horses, as you would say. But, yeah. So he holds a special place and I've had quite a few, you know, since then I have a good mare named Perks and Firewater who actually I started, you know, rodeoing on with her and made my first circuit finals and some amateur finals on her. And then of course her half sister shaking Firewater, my dirty gray horse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> She's not for the faint of heart, but, uh, <laughs> She, uh, she's mine, so it just makes it a little special. And then, of course, now my ultimate favorite horse probably ever on the planet is Guys on Firewater. Mm-hmm. Um, 
cross who um i've had the last several years and and obviously karma heavenly red has definitely um been on that list so she's she's ranked right up the top right like (laughs) i said it's it's hard to pick one or two when you've had so many it is and those those are definitely you know my top of my list but right it's super special horses Talk about some of your influences over the years when it comes to, you know, barrel racing and training. Who are some people that you look up to and go to maybe for advice and stuff like that? Um, so growing up, it would definitely have to be Carl Wise. You know, he was a, a big stepping stone for me and, you know, put me on some great horses. And, you know, I got a lot of great opportunities through Carl and learned a lot of knowledge through the legend. Yes. <laughs> so he would be probably my number one growing up. And, now that I've gotten a little older and I've kind of watched more. So when I was younger, I, you know, was just kind of glued into my own thing and, you know, Carl and I've always grown up watching bread. Um, they've always been in our little district. So it's been fun, you know, growing up with some, some legends. Right. Um, and of course y'all's family, you know, the greens, y'all are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but nowadays, like I said, I think I really look to, you know, as far as like watching and um, obviously looked up, look up to and, try to pick some advice and stuff from is obviously Cassie Mowry. She's definitely the goat. Right. <laughs> you know, I love watching her and I love um, chatting with Jamie Hunt. Mm-hmm. So I've, you know, kind of picked his brain a little bit the last, you know, year or so and have enjoyed watching him ride so many horses and he's always, you know, very encouraging and positive and definitely enjoy our conversations. We live in a special area when it comes to barrel racing because there are so many amazing trainers around us you know you can kind of get a little piece of knowledge from each of them yes and I feel like you know you're you can constantly grow in the sport if you're willing and I do I just I do a lot of watching and you know if I have questions I'll ask but um you know you're right we have so many in the area that's hard to pick just a few to you know to talk about somebody influencing you we have several and you know it's we are in a great area for that yeah for sure when it comes to you personally training a horse do you have like certain steps that you take take us through that process so when I'm starting a horse um I'm nowhere near interested in breaking one anymore (laughs) I'm Um, with you on that one I don't think I would ever want to do that not want to hit the ground anymore (laughs) those days have sailed so I like one just really good and broke I don't like mine too overly top broke you know, I kind of like them to ride, you know, level, um, but not too far down. I actually can get along with a little higher-headed horse, you know, if one has a shorter neck. But mm-hmm. honestly, with my program, I try to just go with what's necessary for each individual horse. Um, I don't necessarily pick a certain style over another one. I really believe that a horse is going to do his job um, the best they can if they're the most comfortable that they are. Right. So I try to just adapt my tuning and training and style, you know, to cooperate with theirs. So that's just a big key component in, in my training and my process is to just kind of adapt with the horse, but, you know, still put my feel. I do like a rounder horse. I can get along with a stiff one if I need to, but I just kind of know how to, nit, you know, nitpick it if it is stiffer. Um, so that's kind of my game plan with each of them is just to take it, take it step by step and just slower um, I'm not one to rush one I don't make a ton of runs at home just kind of go with what what they feel um, sometimes my colts you know bloom a little later than others do because I just I'm kind of a, a perfectionist so I like to 
go the speed that they do it kind of perfectly first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then kind of gain some speed as the year goes on. Um, but uh, now I'm having to press a little harder, as you would say these days. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> the competition is so tough. And I tell you what um, I've kind of, you know, the process has been the past year and a half. We've just been holding them over till they're five. Yeah. I really like that, that aspect of, you know, all the maturities are – you know, kind of switching over to the whole five-year-old um, game. So I do like that. It gives, you know, me a little longer to prepare them and, um, you know, maturity levels and soundness and just growth in, in general. So the majority of ours is holding them till they're five. Yeah, I agree with that. So you've been in the industry long enough to see it kind of change recently. What do you think about all of the stallion incentives? Oh, well, um, (laughs) so I, you know, I love growth. I love where this industry is going. You know, the amount of money to be won these days is, is unreal. You know, it's, it's great. It's a blessing for us all. So I have, you know, two, two views of it, of being a trainer. And also I am a stallion owner myself. Um, you know, and it's a tough game to play. You know, it does take a lot of money to keep the stallions in all these incentives. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's not, you know, something that you can just, you know, up and do it. You know, you have so many nominations for each of them. And, you know, when you are having big, big full crops, you know, it costs a lot. And I'm, you know, I'm just a small breeder. I wouldn't say I'm very big, um, you know, or anything like that, but I really enjoy the stallion incentives. Um, you know, the amount of money they're adding to each, each of these shows is, is great. So I'm all for it. You know, with all of them, everyone's kind of wanting, obviously, to pick a horse that is in one of these incentives, which, you know, as a trainer, it makes sense. But do you still consider training a horse that isn't in those programs? Absolutely. So I'm not against one that isn't in any incentives, which brings me to another point, you know, this, especially our area, we have so many, you know, slot races and high stakes and, Um, you know, big added money, just open barrel races now that, you know, I feel like you're perfectly fine and and can win, you know, almost as much money as one that, you know, is an incentive. So I, and you know, I won't, I won't, you know, bypass one just because it, you know, in any incentives, I just, you know, go with what the horse, you know, is capable of. Um, There's plenty of great stock out there that is in no incentive, you know, and I'm either or, of course, I love going to the big incentive races and, you know, enjoy being able to run for that kind of money and, you know, but also love the slot races that, you know, don't discriminate on the ones that aren't. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I always think of it because, I mean, I've literally grown up in the industry and, you know, back in the day it was, um, it could have been Joe Blue down the street who had this random horse that would come and win those faturities. Now it's just, it's totally different. It's just very more specific. But then again, like you said, when you're doing it as a, as a business, the amount of money, I mean, you can't help but be like, okay, I'm good with this. Oh yeah, for sure. And and like I said, we have so many good slot races and high stakes that, you know, you can win, you know, very good money um, with one that isn't, but the one, you know, and also too, you know, horses are getting bred just to a T just, Mm -hmm. you know, they're so, their pedigree is just stacked and the majority of horses are in a lot of these incentives now because of that, you know, and, you know, the, the stallion owners are, are paying them into everything. And, and so the majority of the stock is, you know, eligible to run. 
you know, just due to the fact that there's so many good bloodlines and pedigree out there and, and they're in the incentives. Right. So. And then talking about bloodlines, do you feel like there's a certain one that fits you and your program the best as a trainer and a jockey? So I love the Firewater Flits. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really partial to them. Um, they are just really sensible and sensitive you know they're very responsive and I feel like a lot of them have been just so willing um so I really get along with them and it seems like a lot of them are just built like a little longer um all my firewater flits have a little bit of length to them and and ride more level and I really really do like that in a style you kind of touched on this but when you are looking at future prospects is there anything physically you're looking for mentally what are you hoping that they kind of show you Definitely confirmation. I do prefer, I do like a longer built horse with a little longer neck. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a, a shorter neck for me gets me into trouble because I do, I do like them a little more round and sometimes it's harder for a short neck horse to be that, you know, that round style. Um, so like I said, I like one kind of level, levelly built, a little longer back. Um, I, I like a, you know, a good slope in the hip, you know, with their hocks sitting up under them. I really kind of look at the back end confirmation if one is stood up super straight in the back end, I kind of will pass on it. Right. Um, you know, just because I just feel like those type horses just don't plan as well as I would like them to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that's kind of what I look for confirmationally. I don't, I don't look at the swirls. I don't look at the crazy <laughs> eyes. Um, I do like a horse with a soft eye, but, um, my, my favorite boy cross has a wild eye. So I don't, I don't judge. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And you do both, you know, Futurity, Opens, you do Rodeo, you do a little bit of everything. So what is some advice that you could give to somebody breaking into the Futurity industry? Um, the Futurity industry? Okay, so <laughs> I have some advice for that. Um, <laughs> I don't get your hopes up. <laughs> I have a hard time reminding myself of this, that um, they're babies and don't put too much pressure on the fact that you're trying to make them a Futurity horse. I think a lot of people buy prospects and in their mind, they're like, okay, this is my fraternity horse, you know? So they go into that training a fraternity horse and having a deadline and kind of trying to rush things. And then, you know, when things do fall apart or they just don't pan out, then they're just so disappointed with this horse, you know, and it just kind of falls apart and goes downhill. So, um, I, you know, I have high hopes for everything that I ride. Um, you know, for sure. And I give all of them a very fair chance, but just have real expectations for them all. Right. Um, you know, and, and take your time just because you have a deadline and want to make a fraternity horse doesn't mean that that's going to be the plan <laughs> or their plan. And then just to kind of piggyback off of that, you know, you see a lot of the same names in the, in the top fraternity riders. What do you think that they do to be so consistent? You know, these Colts, you've got to put the time and the effort and the hauling into them you know they they bring them along so correctly that you know they all have their own programs and they have their own you know schedules on them and stuff like this but I think it's just time I mean a fraternity trainer has got to be on these horses you know every week of the whole year I mean there's no letting up on them you know, so I really think they just work hard. And, you know, that's just, it really comes down to tree trainers work extra hard on making these, these horses, um, you know, capable of running and winning as, as young horses, as colts. Right. 
what advice would you give someone who's wanting to break into the rodeo industry? It's, you know, there's a very few of you ladies that jump back and forth, you know, with maturities and rodeos. And it's like, you know, what advice can you give them? Because that seems like a very draining task. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you have to be tough to rodeo. You have to be tough and very adaptable to things, you know, uh, weather, road conditions, you know, all the things. So I feel like you have to just be extra tough to rodeo. The late night drives, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you had to perform tired, <laughs> you know, there's no early bedtimes, um, you know, on, on that side of things. Right. Now, as far as horses and stuff, you know, back, back when I started a rodeo, you could take a great, you know, 2D barrel horse and go place at some of these rodeos because they would stand up on the, on the, you know, more iffy ground and you know they'd place or you know heck they'd win but right. they'd still be 2d at a bell race but nowadays it's kind of a different ball game um the committees have up their game on the ground you know a lot of them are dragging every five just like a barrel race mm-hmm. so you've got to have a a extremely nice horse to even place at these rodeos these days and i mean amateur rodeos and professional rodeos if you think, you know, you, you're just going to show up to a rodeo and you have it won because your horse, you know, runs in the 1D here and there, no. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, so now these rodeos are just, they've just gotten so tough because they've, the committees have improved so much on the ground. You know, you, you got to be fast and these rodeo girls are tough. Yeah. So. Now, is that, I know, like we talked earlier, of course, that's every barrel racer's dream to make it to the NFR and stuff like that. Is that something that's in your near future? Is it as near as this year or is it kind of farther future for you (laughs) so um back when i made my first circuit finals in 2018 it put me a little head in the year so i got into like denver um austin fort worth you know some of the bigger ones and um so like then you know your mind just automatically jumps to uh, what if yeah like can i make this happen and at that point in time i was just i i was ready right um it was, it was not in God's plans then. Um, my horse ended up, my main horse ended up getting hurt, I think, in, like, the end of February. So, like, it just felt like all my dreams just went down the drain, you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> so, obviously, it's it's always been, you know, a dream of mine to go. I've never really felt like it was the right time or I've had the right horses. You know, I've, I've had young ones and then sold them when they got old enough to actually really go and were solid enough. But now I really feel like I have a great group of horses and, you know, kind of have the means and the mindset to, you know, try for it at least. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's obviously a lot of girls dreams. Mm-hmm. And so it's a nice fight throughout the year and this and that. So if it were to be God's time and awesome, you know, if not, we'll keep after it. But I feel like after the circuit finals, uh, or even before the circuit finals, I just kind of had it in my mind that I wanted to rodeo this coming year and and just hope it all lines up. Awesome. But. And then you kind of talked about this earlier, but you also dabble in the reproduction side of things, which is very interesting. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So um, when we purchase my stud, Tom Walken Firewater, we kind of, it kind of intrigued us uh, with the artificial insemination and just kind of doing it ourselves and when I purchased him I ended up purchasing all the breeding equipment that came along with them that they used so the first year I just bred a few mares and had a vet you know hands-on with me and 
showing me how to palpate ultrasound, AI, all the, you know, basic stuff. And then the next year, I ended up going to um, some classes and got a, a certificate in embryo transfer and, you know, you, you, using frozen semen and, and freezing semen and just kind of all the aspects of things. And it is amazing, you know, being able to somewhat create, you know, a, a embryo mm-hmm. and, and flush it and have it in a, you know, Petri dish in your hand you know, and then putting it in another, you know, recent mare. And um, it's just a great, it's a mind-blowing process. And it's so rewarding when it all pays off. Same thing with any of uh, this industry. It's It can be so heartbreaking and extremely tough. And you know, things don't go your way. It's not rainbows and butterflies. And I definitely know I'm not a miracle worker in some, some parts of it, you know. So it's all very rewarding when it does pan out how you like it too. And I'm just now starting to get to ride some of the the babies that I've created. Yeah. It makes it super, super special. When you talk about all the different things that people do, there's not many people who also dabble in like the reproduction side of it. You know, people know about it, but you're actually doing it. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, it is awesome. And, and now that I'm, you know, also flushing embryos off of the mares that I'm competing on, like, it's just a really cool process. And to see it from that very beginning and then following it through is, is, is quite something. So I'm extremely blessed to be able to get to do it. Yeah, for sure. And you talked a little bit about, you know, winning the circuit finals and, and it was pretty much a clean sweep. Kind of talk about that experience. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I think I'm still on cloud nine. Yeah. Um, so last year I, my plan, my goal was to make circuit finals. Um, and I kind of sealed the deal with that on the guys on firewater cross. Mm-hmm. He did really well at a lot of the bigger added money rodeos in our circuit. So early on, we kind of got to jump in the circuit standings and didn't have to go a lot to the, you know, the smaller stuff and the rest of the year. So um I was super excited to run him and Davey um the first barrel's on the fence and sometimes he likes to step by it so I really thought he was going to do well there and and had high hopes for that um but in September he had other plans um he ended up chipping a spot in his coffin wing Mm. um and so he had to have corrective shoeing and and just wasn't quite healing up in enough time to have him legged up to go to Davey so I was a little discouraged, but I don't know. Something just really felt right about taking karma. Um, I really was at peace with it and knew she could, you know, knew she was capable. She really doesn't have a lot of rodeo experience. I think I maybe have taken her to five rodeos up before Davy, And all of those, a lot of those were outdoor. Mm-hmm. I think she, she went to two that were in covered pens and slack. So, you know, she, she really was you know, kind of going in fresh and a little inexperienced with the perf, but she's so funny because, you know, me and Taylor had this whole story where we blew tires on the way there and it was awful. Our nine hour trip turned into a 15, 16 hour trip. It was terrible. We were both exhausted. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But when we got there, karma just, you know, she's just taking everything in and just looks so just peaceful and, I don't know. That made me feel great about, you know, the situation too. And, right. um, it just, after the first go, I was like, okay, like she brought her, her, you know, her game on. 
um, she had the game face going. So we just kind of roll with it from there and try to keep that momentum through the finals. And <laughs> in the last go, I was so daggum nervous. Um, I was in the second drag, and I knew what I had to get done. I knew I just had to get around the barrels. But I almost played it a little too safe and, and had a little funky angle at my first barrel. And, mm-hmm. and so after that, I just kind of had to suck it up and go with it. Right. But like I said, it was just, it was crazy. And I've talked to a lot of different competitors about this, but you almost get a feeling. And I don't know, like with you two, like if you've ever gotten it, you almost get a feeling before you win something big like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, it's like calming, like peaceful, like, I don't know. It's just, a, it's just a feeling you can get maybe a zone that you get put into that. It's just like, you know what? I'm going to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I was just really focused on having a great circuit finals to get into some of the bigger rodeos and just have, a, you know, a cushion for the year, mm-hmm. you know, the start of the year anyway, because I know with breeding season and, you know, the maturity starting up that I wouldn't really be able to go a whole, whole lot other than the circuit rodeos, you know, from February to May. Right. So I know I just kind of had to make it count and I was just, you know, like I said, very focused and, and dialed in on the fact that I just wanted to have a great circuit finals and, I said it in a, in a few other interviews, but I don't know. I just had a, a, a feeling that like this was God's plan and my plan and they just aligned, Yeah, you know, and I just felt like it was, I was right where I was supposed to be, you know, and with karma. Mm-hmm. So it just, it just all really was extremely special and, and get to have Taylor kicking butt behind me was great too. <laughs> right. That's always, it's always fun to have a friend that's doing good too. It makes it yeah, so enjoyable. Now, now I get to kick her in the butt and push her to rodeo with me this year <laughs> yeah for sure uh and when you say like you know you you just had like a feeling so I feel like you know anxiety is something that I struggle with all the time in my everyday mm-hmm. life and especially in barrel racing and trying to do things very perfect and you know if something doesn't go my way like you said you know your approach to the first barrel wasn't what you wanted but you kept going I struggle with you know trying to over correct things you know so like what what do you think and how do you get your mind game strong enough that like once you go through the alleyway all your training and stuff kind of you know takes a back burner and you make like the best run you can make so it's funny that you say you know you have anxiety I actually I get so nervous I laugh because people ask me you know the same question sometimes Mm -hmm. and I'm like I get nervous exhibitioning my (laughs) colts like when it's just exhibition like I'm nervous because I want them to do well you know so nerves has has also been a a big challenging factor for me and having to handle them um you know also like I I also struggle with that um so I try not to overthink it so I can really get in my own head about you know, what I have to do or what needs to be done or this and that, or what happened in the last run. And this sport is very mental. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be a struggle and it's, it's hard to get out of slumps and, you know, this and that, but at the end of the day, there's always another bell race. And that's what I have to tell myself. I mean, obviously I want to do well and I just had to feel prepared. So that's kind of how I, you know, I guess justify my nerves. Like I, if I really feel prepared that week, then I know, you know, if I know I've done everything, all my homework that I know I was supposed to do during the week, my horse feels good, you know, I just, I try to just leave it in the arena. But no, if something happens that, you know, there's always another barrel race, but I just try not to overthink it. So what I literally tell myself is just to feel your horse. Mm -hmm. So if I catch myself, you know, kind of overplaying something in my head, I'm just 
go back to feel your horse. So that's really something that I, I try to focus on. And, and it helps with riding a lot of different horses too. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, switching styles and jumping, you know, from one to the other and other and other and other, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I just have to, you know, trust my feel. And, uh, that's something that you really can't teach anyone. I did a lot of lessons growing up as well. And, and feel is a huge factor in, in being good or being great. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of, like I said, my game plan is just feel my horse, trust my horse, trust my training, you know, my preparation and just, and just feel. I like that. Good advice. <laughs> Obviously the circuit finals was a big win. Would you consider that your greatest accomplishment of 2023? Yes, for sure. <laughs> it's, it's probably top three of my greatest accomplishments ever. So definitely 2023 for sure. Um, and it's going to be hard to ever top that for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was that was, that was a fairy tale weekend. But me and actually Kristen Hans, you were talking down in Jacksonville. You know, me and her were kind of happy, you know, and, and that's one thing too, like just to go back to mindset, you know, people see – people winning they really don't see a whole lot of the the slumps mm-hmm. um you know that's not really posted on social media or obviously you know not posted in the results or whatever and you know people go through slumps and I feel like after circuit finals I felt like I went from hero to zero overnight right <laughs> <laughs> because I went straight from circuit finals to running these paturity colts and I just wasn't having the runs that I had hoped for and have worked for you know the past two years and so I was kind of getting into my head a little bit and me and Kristen Hanchie were talking and, you know, I was like, I'm trying to pull myself kind of, you know, back to the strong mental game side of things that I'm kind of teetering here. You know, I'm like, I've been working hard on these Colts and they're not doing what I want them to do necessarily. And mm-hmm. you don't do bad, but not doing great. And, and, you know, me and her were talking and I was just like, it's hard coming off of that great of a win to, I mean, where else is there to go? Down. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and so it can hurt your confidence a little bit, but mm-hmm. you know, she's like, Chloe, she's like, take that. She's like, nobody can take that win from you. Um, you know, that's yours. Nobody can take it. She said, but in all honesty and how, you know, the outside looking in, you're only as great as your last run. Yeah. <laughs> and that is the truth with barrel racing. You said it was one of your, you know, maybe in the top three. So kind of tell us what you feel like your biggest accomplishment has been in your whole career of barrel racing. Um, So probably winning the NBHA Open World in 2022. You know, that on cross, which is like I said, my all-time favorite dude, um, was just so, so special. I had actually just purchased him from Kelly Carver, who I've been riding him for since he was three. And... It was just just over the top, just so special. So that was number one, and and probably winning the mega on him was number two, and and of course winning the twenty twelve Teen World NBHA clean sweep in there. So that would have to be in there also. Awesome. And then my last question would be, what do you still kind of hope to achieve, and what impact do you hope to kind of leave on the sport of barrel racing? I have. A lot, so I'm a I'm a goal person. Mm-hmm. So I have you know a lot of stuff that I really want to achieve um, in both the rodeo world and the futurities and also the breeding. So I you know there's there's a lot long list there, and I could go on for days probably. Um, but I would just you know glory to God, um, 
you know, I would like to be a, a good influence on the younger generation and, and just show and be the, a, a light that, you know, hard work does pay off and it's just, you know, wake up every day and enjoy your horse and enjoy the sport. And, you know, so I would just like to be, be a light if I could. It's a blessing to be able to do what we do. Well, that is a wrap for Between the Barrels and our very first episode back. I'm your host, Madeline Green. Tune in next time.